0: Take your Bibles, <laughs> if you have them, and let's go to that passage. We're in John chapter 6. We're covering 41 to 59 today. Uh, all week long, I have been feeling in, in, truly a sense of grateful anticipation <laughs> with this particular text, but it's been equaled, if not surpassed, by what I would call a grave sense of Caution. I've titled the message Hard Truths to Swallow because Jesus says things here that quite frankly are difficult to believe. On the one hand, if God opens our eyes and I trust he will, it is a a, a work of the spirit that that would open our eyes to see what Jesus is saying here. And uh, if he does, then we will leave here liberated. Lord, what, what do you mean? I mean, we will leave here liberated, set free, and secure in our salvation, perhaps in ways we never have been. But on the other hand, this is this is the kind of message, and this is Jesus speaking, that sends some in the opposite direction. It, it can turn some off. It can frustrate and stir anger. Uh, speaking of the verses that we're going to cover today, listen. Listen to what. Rob will pick up next week, but he'll pick up at verse 60. So when they look back on what Jesus had just said, verse 60 in chapter six says this, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? I mean, how hard was it? <clears throat> well, verse 65 or 66 says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's how hard. Rather than diving deeply into our text, we're in 41 to 59. I'm gonna do a a quick flyover on on the text. You say, well, Lloyd, that's a lot of verses to fly over. Well, let me tell you why I'm I'm gonna do it this way. If you heard Rob's message last week, then I'm gonna summarize his message. (laughs) And I think think you would agree, this this is what the core of the message was. Jesus is the bread of life. Not a meal that sustains you till you get hungry again, like the manna, but Jesus is the meal, the meal that gives eternal life. Until you come to Jesus, Your hunger remains unsatisfied and you will die. Believe in Jesus and you will live. That was last week's message. Let me tell you this week's message. These these are the verses we're gonna cover today. Let Let me summarize them for you. Jesus is the bread of life. Not a meal that sustains you till you get hungry again, like manna, but the meal. <laughs> I mean, the meal that gives life eternal. Until you come to Jesus, your hunger remains unsatisfied and you will die. Believe in Jesus and you will live. And you, I hope you're going, uh, that's what you just said. <laughs> and that's the point is you've already heard today's text in a sense because it's exactly what Rob taught last week. Jesus is repeating himself. You'll see this in a moment because I'm gonna fly through it, but you'll you'll see what what, he said, everything he says in these verses, he's already said. He knows what he's saying is difficult. He's a master teacher. And so what does he do as a master teacher? He repeats himself. (laughs) He may change a metaphor, but he repeats himself in hopes that those words pierce their heart. Here's what's so striking to me. And, and you'll, you'll see this as we get to the back part of this section. He does not make the bread any easier to swallow. <laughs> Y'all, it's crazy. He actually makes it harder the second time around to swallow this bread in this bread discourse. And so I want us to pray and I'm gonna invite you to bow your head, pray with me. God, please do what only you can do. We're gonna read these words. We're gonna seek to understand them. But unless you open our eyes to believe, we won't get it. And so we invite you to bring light and clarity and insight and vision and faith that would lead us to marvel, truly marvel at your grace. Amen. We've got three headings that we're going to work through in our text today. I'll give it to you. I'll give each one to you as we begin it. The first one is simply this. I'm pulling this right from the text. I, I just call it grumbling because that's what happens. So here, here's where we're going to cover verses 41 to 51 grumbling about what? About the hard truth of Christ's deity. I'm going to read it one more time. The Jews grumbled about him. Because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? And Jesus answered, he said, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. As it is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father, except he who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, when I read that, and as you look at it, is that not exactly what he said last week? I would suggest it really is. What we see in these passages is we see four times Jesus speaks of his identity, who he is and how does he do that? He speaks of his origin, where he comes from, defines who he is. Verse 41, bread came down from heaven. 42, I have come down from heaven. 46, he who comes from God. 50, the bread that comes down from heaven. He's speaking of his deity. And we say, when we speak of deity, we're saying his godness, that that Jesus is fully God himself, fully man, fully God. And w- when, when I even say that to us, if you've been here in our study through John, I hope you're going, Lloyd, we already know that. And, and, and we would say, well, we already know it, how? Well, because John chapter one, when we read, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, he was in the beginning with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus, he's God. Now think about this, the the, the religious leaders here, because we kind of go to them, don't you guys know about Jesus, his virgin birth and John and what he said? They don't, they don't have the gospel of John. Jesus used the feeding of the 5,000, okay, as his illustration to say, just as God sent manna in the wilderness, God, the father has sent me the son. And in the same way that the manna in the wilderness fed you, the son has come to feed you. You eat the bread and the manna though, and you will, you'll eventually die. But but me, you see, I'm the true bread. Come to me and you live forever. He said, he's really said nothing in these verses that he hasn't said with one exception. It's right there at the end of verse. Fifty-one, And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. <laughs> it's the Greek sarx. It is not the flesh that Paul speaks about, which is that principle bent towards sin that remains in All of us as believers have this <laughs> principle bent towards sin. No, he's talking about what you're looking at right now. Lloyd's skin and bones and soft tissue and flesh. They couldn't swallow the truth of the deity of Jesus. He's sent from God. He is God. When he mentions flesh, they come unglued. They move from grumbling, okay? And I'll just take it from the text (laughs) to disputing. So here's the second heading for this second part of the text. They are disputing what? The hard truth about genuine belief. The hard truth (laughs) about genuine belief. Look again at the text. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. (laughs) Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Gross is not a strong enough term for what they felt when Jesus said this. Um, It's appalling because we know they, they took it literally, did they not? It's appalling. It's anathema morally. It's so wrong the way they took it. See, the law prohibits the, the eating of blood because life is in the blood. See, so this is just a massive violation of the 10 commandments of God's law. How do we resolve it? <clears throat> Y'all, there's a number of ways to come at this that resolve it, but, but I'm just gonna grab one that I think is, is really gettable for us. And that is to let the context speak for itself. You know, they didn't see this, but <clears throat> we can. Look at this chart that I've, I've put up here. Here's, here are the verses, here's the action, and here's the result. So when you look at it this way, you go, okay, chapter, okay, verse 40 says, if you believe you have eternal life. 47 says, if you believe, you have eternal life. 50 says, eat and you will not die. 51 says, eat and you'll live forever. 54, feed on your eternal life. 58, feed on, you live forever. Now, when we we take the context in this way, we look at that and we go, okay, (laughs) we know that John wrote his whole gospel, John 20, verse 31. The whole gospel purpose statement is, these things I have written so that you may believe in the Christ, the son of God, and believing have eternal life. We know that's the whole purpose of the gospel, believe. (laughs) So then we go through and you say, okay, what does this eat, eat, feed on, feed on mean? Well, it's analogous to belief, right? Because the end result is all the same. It's not like if you believe you have eternal life, believe you have eternal life. And by the way, you got to eat something to have eternal life too, right? Step back from that and go, no, Jesus is is reminding them and us that when we speak of belief, uh, don't go to belief light. There, there's only, you know, biblical belief that saves is robust and it is a wholehearted trust in Christ. We've learned over, you know, and we've talked about belief a lot, you know, and understanding it biblically. Walter Kaiser, Walt Kaiser, one of the, a New Testament scholars, says this, to believe in Christ is not only to give credence to what he says, it's to be united to him by faith. It is to participate in his life. So, and I think I'm talking to the choir on this. We grasp this. (laughs) To eat Christ's flesh and drink his blood is simply equal and commensurate with believing in Jesus. A truth that was really hard for them to swallow, was it not? And I think it's fascinating, is it not that Jesus, when he starts out says, now I'm gonna say something to you, but you're gonna need to take it spiritually. He doesn't doesn't do that. He just says it in part, I do trust because if they, if they had seen the Old Testament and the story there of Christ, right? They would have understood he's speaking <laughs> in spiritual terms. I do want us to note that these are truths that those who have not, you know, if this, those who have not yet put their trust in Christ, these are truths that they can't take. They, they can't swallow. <laughs> they can't believe. But when we go back and spend a few moments diving deeper into some verses that I've read over quite quickly. And Rob, in fact, last week read over quite quickly. <clears throat> we're gonna find some things that Jesus says that trouble us. You see what I'm saying? Like, like we, I don't think we have trouble with that part if we look at it, just understanding it with a biblical hermeneutic principle of of Bible study. We're not, I don't think we, that's a hard one to swallow. But I will tell you within this text, there are some that many of us, many of us will find very, very difficult. <laughs> and my hope is that by the spirit, we might avoid the grumbling, right? So we talk; they were talking, the word grumbling, <laughs> that we might avoid the disputing, which is where they were. and instead come to where I want to really take the bulk of our time this morning to what I call marveling. So here's the final heading, and this is where I'm gonna spend our time. Marveling. (laughs) At what? The hard truth about God's sovereignty in salvation. The hard truth about, you know, when I say sovereignty, it means God's in control of. God rules and reigns in it. God's sovereignty in salvation. Just a few preliminary comments before I step into this. Look, we're not gonna definitively (laughs) settle an argument that that has gone on for 500 years in the church and will go on for 500 more should the Lord tarry, okay? (laughs) We've got about 15 minutes that I'll talk about these things. There's a lot that's gonna be left unsaid, okay? Note that. Secondly, (laughs) there is room. Oh, there's room for differences in theological understandings of the things I'm gonna talk about. I would not die for what I'm about to teach you. I think it matters. I think it really matters, but I wouldn't die for it. I wouldn't break fellowship with someone who saw it differently. It's not one of those things. I hope you won't as well. I do believe that obviously I wouldn't teach it, that the position I'm teaching and that Rob would hold to as well. We think this is what the Bible teaches. But again, people differ on these things. It absolutely has implications. I mean, it, it has profound implications on your faith on what you believe about the gospel, the Christian life, if I could summarize it, here's here's what I'm gonna talk, here's what I'm gonna present to you because I think Jesus speaks of it. It puts the glory of grace in salvation where I believe it belongs. And that is on God alone. I did this, I don't know, a month ago and I'm gonna do it again. Here's my email because I'm gonna have, you guys are gonna go, man, I don't know about that, Lloyd, (laughs) And um, I have it set on delete. So when they come, they just delete. I'm just kidding. No, I did do that when I was on sabbatical. Did you, I, know, I had a set where all, everything that came to my email went deleted, I never saw those. And I had a message saying that, but not this. Um, and they come to me. I don't have someone that looks at my email. And if you have a question, if, um, I would prefer to just sit down and talk about it and talk it through. I think this will make more sense as we get into this. Let's start here. We have established in these passages <laughs> that to come to Jesus is to believe in Jesus. Everybody agree? I mean, <clears throat> that's inarguable. To come to him is to believe in him. To eat the bread, to drink the blood. That, that, is, that, that means to believe in Jesus such that your belief leads to eternal life that begins now and is forever. I, think we are in, I don't think that's arguable. <clears throat> but let's start our consideration with looking at four verses, three we've already read. (laughs) Start with verse 37. Look at it in your Bibles. (sighs) My heart's beating fast because these things are, there's a lot of tension, you know, around it. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. According to this verse, Who comes to Jesus? These are not trick questions. Who comes to Jesus? According to Jesus. How how would you answer that? The ones the father gives him. Hmm. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Hmm. Huh. Of, of those, what, what, is, what is the condition <clears throat> of the, that must be met in order for someone to come to Jesus? What condition must be met? Say it, someone say it out loud. The father has to draw them. Okay. One, ones that, Positive, all he gives. One's the negative. Do you see that? It's saying the same thing. Flip, go back up, go back up. Verse 39, I want you to catch this. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Okay, he's talking about those the father has given. Of those the father gives to the son, how many will he lose? It's not a trick question. He will lose none. Wow. How secure are those whom the father gives to the son? If the father, if, if it's someone who the father has given to the son, how secure is that person in their salvation? Jesus will lose None. 65, we get to that next week, but look at it. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Here we go again. Of all the people in the world, according to Jesus, who can come to him, it's only those whom the Father has granted can come. This hmm. Verse 37 is positive. All that the Father gives, all of them, they do come. 44. Look, no, no one, no one can come unless the Father. Draws, negative 65, no one can come unless the father, it's granted by the father. And you look at those and you go, hmm, that sounds like salvation is only for a select group of people. (laughs) And if you are not on that list, it's impossible to get in. Sounds like the whole thing's rigged. And God does the rigging. And <laughs> I don't know about you, know, and there's something this that goes, I don't like the way that sounds and feels. <laughs> let, me, let me reframe what I think these verses are saying. Another way to see them. <laughs> Our salvation is of God from beginning to end. Those who have come and put their trust in Christ have done so because God willed it, initiated it, orchestrated it, applied it, and will consummate it. Said another way, our salvation is ultimately not about us. It is about God the Father giving God the Son a people purchased by his blood for his glory. Our salvation is about God's mercy, grace, goodness, kindness, and steadfast love. You see these verses, we just, we just take them as they are, speak of the sovereignty of God in salvation. And may I say this, the issue is not that we fully understand it because I'm just, I'm gonna say this so many times you're gonna get tired of me saying it we won't fully grasp what, what we're gonna talk about here. The issue is not that we fully understand it, but whether the Bible teaches it. We can't grasp it fully, but does the Bible teach it? And if the Bible teaches it, then we, we must believe it. And I do believe when we believe it, we're changed by it. Now, you could hear a pin drop in here right now, and I get it. Because we've just stepped in, what have we just stepped into? Well, we just stepped into, you know, these doctrines of election and predestination. You think I don't know that? You know, like I'm going, oh my gosh, where have we come? But what's, why am I here? What's the only reason we're here? Because Jesus has us here, right? We can't read these texts and not stop and go, wait a minute. See, Jesus is speaking of election (laughs) and predestination here. So many questions, my goodness, I'm sure, that are rousing in our, in our minds. If Jesus speaks of it in the gospels, then we would expect that in, you know, in the writings of the New Testament and the letters, the apostles would pick up on the thoughts of Jesus, wouldn't we? I think we would and just considering too, look at Acts thirteen forty eight. this is on the screen, you don't need to turn there. Note, when they're describing the beginning of the church, Luke writes, when the the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians. I do want you to go there because this is such a critical passage. Ephesians, you're gonna go to chapter one. Ephesians 1. I'm gonna start in verse three. You know, we've taught Ephesians twice over the history of the church. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, timestamp, before the foundation of the world. He's speaking to Christians, to those who put their trust in Christ that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. God, why did you do all this? To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. There's so much, right? That's a message in itself, but we might simply note this. If you know Christ, you've placed your faith in Christ. According to Ephesians one, you can know that you know God because he chose you to be in Christ before Genesis one one. Your salvation was secured in eternity past. And now I really hear the questions going off in your minds or objections. I get it. I get it totally. I can't adequately answer the questions these things raise, but I can hopefully point us in a direction. I'm just gonna try and take a few things that I think can, can at least get us started to grapple with these things. Let's start here because I think this can get kind of to the core of the issue that so many other things are attached to it when we hear these words from Jesus and even the words I've expressed here from Paul, we say, wait, 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 wait. What about, what about a person's free will? Don't we have a free will and we get to choose God. We get to choose whether we want God or not. That's the, the whole point is, you know, that's, we should do the choosing when we speak of God being sovereign salvation, boy, it, it hits at the sense of violation of our, a person's free will. Now, when we think free will, we gotta think critically. And we need to understand that free, okay, for us as human beings, cannot mean that we are free to do anything without coercion. There's only one being in the universe that is truly free. That would be God. See, in our humanity, we, when we choose, we choose because something outside of us has prompted us or, or we've been motivated by. There's a, there's a coercion to human beings. We're not free to, to simply choose without some measure of coercion. Creatures are only free to act in accordance with their nature, our nature. And, and when we go there, we go, well, wait, our nature is fallen. I know I'm grabbing tons of theology as I go through this, but we do what we want, right? Yeah, we, we, we want, we do, but our wants are contorted. When Paul says in Romans three, no one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned, together, turned aside, together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one, he's describing a fallen humanity. That's us before Christ. No one wants God. Uh, We want what we want. And you see left to ourselves, we we will get what we want. And let me tell you what a bound will, because our our fallen will is bound, what we'll choose every time, we'll choose me. (laughs) That's, That's biblical theology. Our will, quite frankly, is far from free. Jesus will say, he who practices sin is a slave to sin. For us to come to Jesus, God must take the initiative to unbound us. Otherwise we would never come. We we couldn't come. Ephesians 2, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this, this, this faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. The very faith we exercise to believe is the gift of God. Think about it this way. And this can be helpful because I do think if we can land this at some level, whether whether we agree or not, we kind of go, okay, that, that seems pretty solid ground. How bad is our problem? I mean, how bad off are people apart from God? <clears throat> Ephesians 2.1 says, before faith in Jesus, we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. <clears throat> the gospel's a spiritual truth. We, we, we know that. Paul, speaking of spiritual truths, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural person, person before they know Christ, does not accept the things of the spirit of God for... They are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I'll never forget, uh, um, this is back in the 90, 91 to 93, I was at seminary and Dr. Hannah, who, who was one favorite of many seminary students there, uh, he described it this way. And I've described this before because I've taught this passage, some of you might remember, it was 2004. Now I'm not teaching the same message, but I'm referring to a lot of the same things that I talked to back then. And I did talk about this illustration Dr. Hannah had, and it it gets to this, how bad is our problem? I mean, how, our our depravity, our fallenness, I mean, what what condition are we in really? And and he he said, you know, this is where, and may I say this, and I've said this already, but I'm gonna talk about what I believe I promise you there are people in the room and I know I could pull books off the shelf that would stand on this side and totally refute what I say. And that's the part I go, okay, we can agree to disagree on how this goes. Are you with me? So here's, here's what he described it though, is our problem that we are treading water. And if we could just, you know, just keep treading long enough God's gonna see to it that a life preserver plops down. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're not, we're not gonna live treading water, but finally we grab hold of the life preserver of the gospel. You see, that's one way to say it, that, that we're fallen, but there remains in us this, this ember in which if given the right conditions and circumstances, everyone's got that little ember and you can, you can believe and you need to believe. That's, many people hold that position. I would hold the other position, which Dr. Hannah says, <laughs> I I think the Bible teaches not that we're treading water, okay? And waiting for a life preserver to land. No, no, no. We're lying dead on the bottom of the ocean. Dead. You could put a hundred life preservers above me. I can't, I'm dead. Such that God must act first to birth faith in me that I would trust the life preserver. I believe that. I, I believe as Paul, no one chooses God if, if, if that's our, pr- see, here's what I say. If that's our problem, and I believe it is, then it's, I think it's inarguable that God has to make the first move to save us. We'll never make the move. He's got to act first on our behalf. Why me? The pleasure of his grace. Doesn't this mean God predestined some to heaven and to hell? Oh my gosh, they're talking about a can of worms. Here's double predestination where you go, well, wait, God, so God from before time began, he predestined them to hell. He predestines them to heaven. No, there's a lot to this issue, but suffice it to say that all of us are born <laughs> locked into an eternity apart from God. We inherit the sinful nature of our parents, Adam and Eve. And you say, well, I didn't make that choice. Well, according to the Bible, you did. Adam and Eve chose perfectly, perfectly how we would choose. And so we we inherit their sin nature. Thus all are destined to, to an eternity apart from God. And this is so hard and yet we see it. And yet God chooses some, the elect. People have different views on how they come to believe, but the reason people... the the reason there will be people who are in hell, who are separated from God forever is because that's what they choose. You choose yourself and you get yourself in a sense. But if this is true, then the offer of salvation is not legit. (laughs) It's not even real then if this is all rigged like this. Well, this makes your head hurt. But listen to Jesus. He said, whoever comes to me, he, whoever, it, it was universal, whoever comes, all can come. He said, everyone who looks on the Son and believes will have eternal life. Whoever believes has eternal life. The invitation is to all, and it's a legitimate invitation. You go, well, no, Lloyd, because God said some, "You You gotta hold both these things in tension, you see. You can't just stand over here and say, no, 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 I'm gonna choose God. It's all, it's all that. You can't stand over here and say, well, you know, your, your choice doesn't matter. God's in control. No, 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 no. These, you feel the tension in these? It's like, well, I can't hold those things in my head. Do you know how much there is of God that we can't hold in our head? Way more than this. No one will stand before God. This is so important in, this, in the view I hold, which you would know it's a very reformed view of salvation. No one will be able to stand before God and say, God, I didn't trust you, okay? Because I wasn't one of the elect. No one can stand before God and say that. Because what what the Bible teaches is that all of us are accountable and will give an account and we're responsible for the choices that we make. And there's some in the room, there's some online. Let's just say you're watching me and, and you know, this is one of those messages, y'all, that's really for, for those who know Christ. And yet I know there's some in the room that may not know Christ and you're going, man, that's weird. And I go, it's kind of weird to us too. But, <laughs> but I would say to you, see, you're actually hearing the gospel. So you've got to do something with it. See what I'm saying? So you can't say to God like, well, no, I wasn't elected." This sounds weird, but God would say, wait, 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 you heard the gospel so many times. Why didn't you, you see what I'm saying? God's, we're accountable for that decision. They're both true. This is, this is an, such an old illustration and yet it, 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 it's, it can be helpful. And that's all, you know, I hope it's helpful to us. Like if this swing was, if that was a door, right? then then on this side of the door, when you don't know Jesus and all of us are born this way, the sign above that door says, whosoever will come and you'll be saved. It's for us. And so I stand on this side of the door and say, I will, right? And I step through the door. I believe, I put my faith in Christ. You see, for those of us, most probably in the room, who've put your trust in Christ, You see, we look back at the very same door, right? But you know what's on this side? Chosen from before the foundation of the earth. Now, when we see that, we don't arrogantly say, I've I've always been in. No, you fall on your knees and you thank God that your salvation has been secure in Christ. And then you just go tell everyone you know. Put your trust in Jesus. You don't go to people and say, I don't know if you're elect or not, but let me say something to you and you tell me how it goes. No, 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 no. We kind of giggle at it, but y'all can be quite, you know, it can get quite sad if people hold to, to a view that says, well, if it's rigged, then I don't have to say anything. No, no, no. Swing's been hanging back here. I did this in 2004 and it, it proved helpful to some. And I hope it proves helpful for those at fellowship now at some measure. Because what I'm trying to help us understand is there are two truths that are, that are so, you can't avoid them in the Bible. And they seem to go against each other. But in God's mind, they don't. They're both true. God is Sovereign. My choice really does matter. And the swing can help us in this way because you can can go to the extreme, right? You can go to this extreme to say, no, man, I have a free will. My salvation, look, I'll decide whether or not I'll believe in Jesus. And you hold this position and I'm gonna tell you, it's easy right now, but try to hold this position over a lifetime and, and you put all your energy into holding that position because you think, man, if I give in a little, I, I, I wanna stay on this position. Or you can go the opposite way, right? And you go to this position, the sovereignty of God. You know, it doesn't even matter what you decide. If you're in, you're gonna be in. Thank you, God, you know, hope you're in. No. See, on the one side, you hold a... You'll hold a view that ultimately, if you cut it, you know what it'll bleed? It'll bleed you. It puts you in the position of God. I'm I'm in charge. You go to to this side and you could go to another error, quite frankly, and that is to say, you know, a person's choice doesn't really matter. God's gonna do what he's gonna do. The Bible doesn't allow us to do that. You know, the Bible holds these truths, right? In a sense, like, like on this swing, it holds them in tension. And you know what? They're both, can I say this? They're both true. And rather than try and resolve the tension, see? In, in spiritual maturity, what do we do? I, I'll tell you what we do. We sit in the tension. I don't even mean to be silly by this, but you know what you can do? You can swing. You can rest. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm resting. What am I resting in? That my responsibility and my choices matter. And God chooses. God's in control. My, my choices matter. Y'all, I'm t- I want you to, let me give you two ways you rest in this. Don't raise your hand. I'll raise mine. Do you ever wonder if you're really saved? You, you can think this is weird, but I actually think that sometimes I just go, "What? Is this all true? Lord, am I?" I mean, you, you think about assurance of salvation. when we understand God's sovereignty and salvation? Yes, we understand our choice matters, but you know what you know what we understand. God chose me from before the foundation of the world. God, the father gave me to Jesus. And Jesus says to me, I don't lose any that come to me. Don't lose them. Do you see like, so when I'm just wrestling, whatever, Jesus is not gonna lose me. My assurance of salvation, you know, ultimately where it rests. Yes, how I live, it matters in ways, but ultimately my assurance of salvation, you know where it rests? in what Jesus says. Jesus says he's getting me home because I'm in him. I can breathe. How about sharing your faith? Have you ever shared your faith? And you walk away going, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I said it wrong. I didn't get it right. They're not gonna come to Jesus. Listen, just take take a deep breath. No one comes to Christ unless the father draws them. But Jesus says, go and proclaim the gospel to everyone. And when we do those whom the father has given to Jesus in time, they will come to faith. So quite frankly, I think when we can hold these intention, it gives us tremendous courage and hope for those who don't know Jesus. Cause you and I know people who go, they're just so far from God. Well, so were you. And you're not smarter than them. It's not like, you know, you kind of figured it out. One day, hopefully they'll go to graduate school of spiritual theology and learn about Jesus. No, 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 no. God hopefully and will and does opens their eyes. So you see, it's like the, the, the result of our evangelism is not on us. Look, we can speak confidently to who? The elect? No, to everyone, because the invitation is to all. Put your trust in Jesus. And God alone can open our eyes to believe. Here's the thing He will. And He still does. And the reason you and I are saved, ultimately, is God. No wonder we started our service. Oh God, the glory is yours. And it is in our salvation. Which takes us to the cup. Let's take our communion elements. If, you're, if you know Christ, you've trusted Christ, please take a cup or get one from the back. We take the cup every week. And it gives me an opportunity, honestly, to address something that I know many of us are thinking. Take the bread, take the cup, go ahead and open it. And it would be this. Oh my gosh, Lloyd, this is amazing. This text is talking about eating the bread and drinking the blood. Isn't this the Lord's table? Well, it's gonna shock you. There are those (laughs) who say, this is John's way of instituting the Lord's table because he doesn't do it later, okay? There are those who say that. But then there are those who would say, no, that's not what that text is teaching. Now, later later, later the church did look at that and go, that's very much aligned with the table, but that's not what the text is teaching. Can I say this? I'm on this side. I don't think this particular passage, Jesus is instituting or teaching about the Lord's table. He doesn't even institute it till later. Isn't that funny? Everything I've said up here today, this is the part that's so kinky, this. Everything I've said, I assure you, someone way smarter than me can come up here and say, Lloyd, let me tell you what that verse means. And, 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 and you'd look at it and go, man, that was pretty good. <laughs> so you're going, oh my gosh. We can hold that tension, can we not? But in this text, listen, look, this is, this is Jesus really, ooh, he's saying, do you believe? Not, not a skim belief, but a deep belief. Like like what you take in your body, believe in me. And trust me, that's what he's speaking of. And yet, yes, we come to this table and reminded of those things, are we not? Lord Jesus, your body given, broken for us. We remember and we give thanks, receive the bread. the cup Jesus you would later institute in this table that this is symbolic of your blood life is in the blood your life was poured out for us we remember it and we proclaim that one day you're coming to set all things right thank you Jesus receive the cup boy, do I feel the weight of a message like this. I I hope you do. Just close your eyes for a moment. Trust the Spirit to lead. You see how this text points to the glory of God, the goodness of God. The grace of God. Would you tell him, thank you. These mysteries are great. They're humbling. We really, really want to put you in the right place when we think of our salvation. To know that our choice does matter and to know you're sovereign. We're humble your grace overwhelms us all of it centered residing in the God-man Jesus oh Jesus more of you more of you this is our prayer let's stand together